now. We're going to jump into the word. So I'm going to have you open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I want to kind of, as you get there in your Bible, I want to talk about a couple more things as we introduce this series. You know, so again, as we said, as, as traditional church, uh, normal church buildings, whatever else, are, are sitting empty today save for a pastor that's in their living room or maybe on site in their, in their church, kind of you know, recorded this message or, or is live for you right now or somewhere else. But essentially, we've had to do church differently. And so one of the questions that I was processing myself is, with worship and baptism and communion and, and tithing, if we're not meeting together in the traditional sense, do we still do those things? And if we still do those things, then how should we go about doing them in, a, in the midst of a quarantine? But more importantly, we want to address why we do those things, all from the perspective of God's Word. So that old historian in me kind of came out to ask all those questions, right? The who, what, when, where, why, how, all those things kind of came to light with, in regards to each of these. So like I said, we're not going to be able to be so extensive to cover everything, but... We'll try and do what we can as we, as we get into this this morning. So if you're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that is going to be the foundation as to what we talk about this morning in regards to worship. But before we get into the word, let me pray for us one more time. Father, we come before you again this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning and, and, your, and your word. We thank you for worship. We thank you for the ability to come before you in praise and in song. And so, Lord, I pray that as we talk about that now, Lord Jesus, that your spirit clarifies everything that is said now, that your spirit, Father God, would speak loud and clear to our hearts as to why we sing, why we come before you in praise and adoration. Lord, I pray that our understanding of worship would be a lot more clear as we walk away from service today. Lord, that we would have a better understanding as to why we do it and how we should do it according to what you tell us in your word. So, Father, I pray that that be the case. But above all, Lord God, we lift up your name as we sung this morning, Lord. Give us that heart of worship because it is truly all about you. And so that's our prayer this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So read along with me. Real short passage this morning, just two verses that we're going to start with. And then we'll, we'll jump into the message. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with a thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's what I want to do, and this is something that we done when, when, or did when we used to gather together physically, and we'll, we'll come back to it when we, when we get that chance again, Lord willing, very soon. I want to give you guys an opportunity to just sit and, and reread that passage. It's something we, we would do in our normal service where we would just sit with God's Word. We'd read the passage again. We'd spend some time in prayer, read it two, three more times, really focus in on the words of what's said in those two verses. So I'm going to give you one minute just to kind of do that again. And then we're going to jump into this message together. But let's just reflect on what God's word is saying in these two verses. So take a minute and, and do that now. So hopefully you had a chance to reread that one time or two times or 
or spend some time just really seeing those words because we're really going to focus on them this morning. But what I want to talk about really quick before we jump into that scripture is, you know, we might have kind of a, a full spectrum of those that have been a part of the church and, and to some respect watching this, you know, together this morning. We've had those that have maybe been a part of church for 40 years, 50 years or more their entire life. Uh, we might have some watching that it's just been a short while, maybe just a, a year or less or within a few years or so. Or maybe uh, you've been in and out of the church, uh, you know, kind of uh, here and there, not real uh, consistent. Or maybe you're watching and maybe this is the first time you're actually even being a part of a church service. But let me, let me bring something to light. Whether you've been a part of church your entire life, if that's years and years and years, or you're brand new, there's something about this concept of worship that we want to bring to light this morning. Because some people might consider it just routine. Some people might just consider it the norm. And they've never really questioned, why do you do that? Why do we sing songs? Why do we stand up? Why do some people, you're looking around and, and they're lifting their hands. What is that about? Some people have their eyes closed. What are they doing? What, why aren't they looking at the screen or, or, or uh, looking at the worship director in front of them? I, I don't get it. What, what, I don't understand. And, or maybe that you've just, you're in tune with worship and what it is, and so you have that understanding. But wherever you're at in all this, I kinda, it, it just brings up some questions if you really think about it. Number one, why do we sing? Why do we sing songs typically at the beginning of service like we did? We sang two songs up front. We're going to sing two songs at the end. Sometimes we'll sing four songs in a row. Why do we do it that way? Why is worship typically or traditionally kind of at the beginning of the service? So, you know, some churches will do hymns. You know, some, some churches will do more contemporary music. Some will just use an organ. Some will have a full worship band with electric guitar and drums and the, and the whole, whole thing. Some churches will do no instruments at all, and it'll just be their voices, a cappella. You know, so varying degrees of worship and what that's all about, but, but it's such an embedded part of the church process. It's part of the church's DNA to sing and to, to, to do worship. And so, again, it's the big question, why do we do that? So, if we look in Scripture, Old Testament and New, one of the, the foremost upfront examples of worship in, in God's Word is King David. King David was known as a very accomplished musician. In fact, the majority of the Psalms that he wrote, the book of Psalms, is attributed to him, and they're actually songs and poems written and, and placed to music, and we even still sing some of those today. We read that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that before he was anointed king, Saul brought David into his presence because Saul needed some comfort. And he heard that this David kid was very good at the harp and a very accomplished musician. And so he called for David to come into his service and play for him. So whenever Saul was distressed, David would play the harp for him and it would soothe Saul's soul. We also see in, in the next book, 2 Samuel in chapter 6, that as David was already king. The Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem, and, and David led a procession for the people. And he led a procession of, as, as 2 Samuel 6 tells us, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. It was a 
It was a huge parade. I almost think like a New Orleans type of uh, parade with all the, the music and the fanfare and, and everything else. As, as the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was being brought back in, it was, a, it was something to be praised through song and through instrument. But we actually see song in the New Testament as well. In fact, there's a, a, a little verse that doesn't get a lot of attention. When you, when you talk about Jesus and his disciples, you don't hear a lot about singing. So it's kind of a verse that gets skipped over a little bit. But if you read, uh, as we just celebrated last week, the, the Passion Week, and as Jesus sat with his disciples and celebrated Passover and, and celebrated or instituted what was become known as the Lord's Supper, or in that case, it was the Last Supper, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, we read, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So after celebrating Passover, you can imagine, not imagine, but what we're told is Jesus and his disciples singing together. They sung a hymn, and wouldn't it be cool to know exactly what hymn they sung, but we're not quite sure. And it was at that moment then they went out to the Mount of Olives because that's when Jesus would then go into the Garden of Gethsemane and pray just hours before he would be arrested and, and crucified. But we see worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what is worship? How do we define worship? Well, if we get down to it in the Old Testament, in, in, in Hebrew, in the old language, the word is shakah, and it means to literally prostrate yourself or bow down before the Lord. And in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, the Greek word is proskuneo, if I'm even saying that right, proskuneo, which means respect or homage or give reverence again, to God. And so in short, what we get is a reverent respect for God as our Lord, as our King, worthy to be praised. And yet we hear that line in, in some of our songs that we sing today, worthy to be praised. And so somebody likened it to worship to God is, is because it's our worth-ship to God, because He's worthy, because He is Almighty. He is our Creator. He is our Lord. He sits on a throne today. And so... We prostrate ourselves. We bow down spiritually, sometimes physically. You know, you'll see some people in churches will literally get on their knees or they'll lift up their hands and surrender or, or bow their head before God because of that reverent awe and respect for who He is. But if we get into the scripture that we read this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, again says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if we stop there for a moment... You might be thinking, well, why are we talking about the Word of God, Pastor Cam? I thought we were talking about singing songs. Well, here's what we need to understand and why we use this scripture this morning. When it says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness in your hearts to God, we never, ever, ever disassociate the Word of God from our time in worship. I'm going to say that again. We never disassociate, disconnect, break away from the Word of God in our time of worship. The words that we sing are so very important, and we have to pay attention to the words that we're singing. That's why churches will, will put the words up on the screen here so you can you see what it is that you're saying, so you have an understanding of what it is that you're saying. The words that we sing are of the utmost importance. We need to pay attention 
Someone by the name of Curtis Vaughn said, we are to submit to the demands of the Christian message and let it become so deeply implanted in us as to control all our thinking. So the word of God should dwell in us so much so that it controls our thoughts. You know, scripture says that in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we want that abundance to be the word of God. So whether we're speaking the word of God, whether we're worshiping or singing songs, it should be the word of God. So in other words, what we think about God will dictate how we worship God. What we think about God, how often we think about God is going to dictate how we worship God. So if we're rarely thinking about God, we're probably rarely going to worship God. But the more and more we give ourselves into submission to him and fall in love with him and and who he is because of what he's done for us, that is going to bring us to a place of deeper, more profound worship because of who he is. So some would say also that worship is our gateway into the presence of God. Now, I like that, and I agree with that, but I also disagree with that, and I'll I'll tell you why. I really like this in the fact that it's the gateway into the presence of God, and, and that may give some understanding as to why a lot of people will put worship at the very beginning of service. But the reason I would disagree, in a sense, with this statement is it should not stay there. Okay. It is, in my opinion, yes, it is a gateway. Yes, it is how we enter into the presence of God. And we're going to see that in scripture, but we don't leave it there. Worship should envelop us always, wherever we are. And that's where I would disagree in a sense with that statement. I love it, but don't just leave it there. We don't just reserve worship for a few songs at the beginning of our service and and leave it there never to return to it again. It's not just an introduction. It is a gateway where we step through into the presence of God, but we bring it with us as well. And there's, in my opinion, no scripture that makes this more clear than Psalms chapter 100. You might be familiar with this, and if you're not, we're really going to break it down right now. But Psalm 100 really speaks to this concept because our worship needs to contain words of worship and praise when we talk about being prostrate and bowing down and having reverence and awe and paying homage to our our god the words that we sing should speak to that so psalm 100 it'll be up here on the screen i'm going to read it once and then i'm going to come back and read it again and and talk about a couple different things here but psalm 100 i'm going to read the entire chapter all five verses. You ready? It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, I know maybe you've heard some of those those lines before and it's a very famous psalm, but typically a lot of people would reserve that psalm for Thanksgiving time because of the words it uses, meaning our our holiday Thanksgiving. But but I want to talk about this and, and how this can pertain to who we are always. 
So if I'm, I'm going to read this again and I want to kind of bring out some words that, that we can focus on. And if, if you're the type of person that likes to take notes or underline or circle or highlight or something in their Bible, then, then I want you to underline these words that I emphasize. Again, Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Underline or highlight that word joyful. Because our, our worship, our singing to God should be and come from a place of joy. Regardless of what's going on in the exterior, internally, we should come before the Lord with joy. It says, serve the Lord with gladness, underline gladness. Our worship and singing before the Lord should come from a place of joy, but also gladness. We come into his presence with singing. So there you go. <laughs> it's right there, right? Why we sing songs in church and, and why it should be moreover a lifestyle for us. And when scripture says to greet one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as, as we'll talk about, I don't think we live in a musical necessarily. You know, we don't live in a Disney movie where we're just going to break out in song with one another. Maybe you do, or I, I don't know if you do or not, but That'd be interesting. Let's get that on, on film. But we, we don't typically do that, right? We don't typically sing to one another. Okay, so we'll talk about in a little bit what that means. But it says, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His, His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with, next word I want you to underline, with thanksgiving. So our worship should be joyful. It should come from a place of gladness. And our worship to Him should be full of thanksgiving. Why? Because of who he is and what he did for us. It says, enter his courts with praise. There's another term that we use, worship and praise. And, and as we define worship, we can define praise as, again as, as adoration, as, as uh, giving praise and, and adoration to somebody that's worth that adoration, right? That's worth that praise. And, and so we give our praise to God because of who he is. And again, it, it closes with one more, give thanks to him. So our, again, our worship is joyful, it's gladness, it's, it's full of thanksgiving because of who He is. Okay. Now, here's what I want to do one more time. I want to read through Psalm 100 again. And I just want you to listen because I'm going to emphasize certain words. And I want you to really understand why this psalm is so important to our understanding of worship. Listen. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Do you get the point that our worship is never, ever, ever about us. It's not about what we can get from worship. What's going to make us feel better about our life or the moment. Everything about worship and the joy and the gladness and everything else is about him. Everything about worship is him. You don't go before a king and bow down before a king and just expect him to make your life better the drop of a hat. You don't expect the king to just uh, give you anything that you want or that that king is going to make you feel better. No, reverence and awe and homage and paying respect to God Almighty is because of who he is always. 
That's what worship should be about. In Psalm 100, when it says that He is God because He's Lord, He's God because there's no one greater than Him. It is He who made us, therefore He is the Creator. And so we give reverence and awe to Him because of the fact that He created us. And it says we are His, His people. And because He created us, we belong to Him. And Scripture is very clear later on in the New Testament that by the blood of Jesus Christ, that blood that Jesus shed on the cross purchased us. And so we are exclusively owned by our Creator. We praise, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Again, they're His gates, His courts, because He sits on the throne. He is King. It's His kingdom that we belong to. His steadfast love endures forever. His love is forever. And because His love is forever, it means He is eternal. That means His love, His faithfulness knows no end. You hearing what I'm saying? This is about God and God alone. Worship should be something that we should be glad to do. Something that brings us joy because we acknowledge being in the presence of God. We're thankful to Him because of who He is and what He did for us. It's all about Him. So as we move forward in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, the, the, the second half of, of verse 16 says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, or excuse me, thankfulness in our hearts to God. You know, Paul, who wrote Colossians, also wrote to the church at Ephesus, the Ephesian people, and he said to, this to them very similarly in, in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you hear a lot of that same verbiage of, of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but again, from the heart with thanksgiving. You know, whether we call it psalms or hymns or spiritual songs, doesn't matter. We're not going to break down the, the individuality of those, that, those terms because whatever we call it, it's not so much what we call it as how we do it. And again, when I say how we do it is not so much whether we use instruments or whether we use an organ or whether we don't use instruments at all or, or whether we use a, a hymnal book or, or lyrics are up on the screen or whether it's hymns written in the 1500s versus songs that were written yesterday. How we do it isn't, excuse me, what, again, we call it is not as important as to how we do it. And by how we do it, it's from the heart. Addressing God himself and who we're talking to, who we're singing to. It's important why we perform these acts of worship. Worship must come from the heart with thanksgiving. Worship must come from the heart with thanksgiving. Say it with me. Worship must come from the heart with thanksgiving. That is why we do it. That is how we do it. Worship and praise without thankfulness is meaningless. I'll say that again. Worship without thankfulness is meaningless. And the reason I can say that is because very, something very similar in the book of 1 Corinthians was said about love. In the great love chapter that's used so often during weddings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this about love, that anything that we do without love is pointless. In verses 1 through 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I've gained nothing. So you can sacrifice your life, but if you don't do it from a place of love, it's worthless. You can have all the faith in the world, faith to move mountains, faith to do amazing things, but if it doesn't come from a place of love, it's pointless. Same thing with our heart of worship to God Almighty. If it doesn't come from a place of thankfulness, it's meaningless. How can you worship God without being thankful to Him? Worship without thanksgiving is selfishness. Because you're expecting something for yourself. You're anticipating that that time of worship is going to appeal to you and your senses and your heart and mind because of what you may like versus what another church does or that church. You're not in a place of thankfulness and worship to God Almighty because you're more concerned about what things may sound like or the goosebumps it may give you because of the lights and the smoke and everything else that will be going on around you. Now, you obviously notice that as we come into a time of worship here, we don't have a, a worship director. <laughs> Unfortunately, Anthony can't be with us, and I would love to have him here, but given the rules that we have to follow, we can't do that. And, and I know what a lot of churches are doing nowadays is they'll have their worship team pre-record the message, and then they'll, in all their fancy ways, connect it together so you can actually see the, the worship team playing, which is great. I think that's fantastic, and I'm not saying anything against that, but that's just not the situation that we're in right now. But hopefully what, what, you, what you hear when what I'm saying right now is you shouldn't have to have an individual to look at. You shouldn't have to have a worship team to, to look at in order to come into the presence of God because it's not about the individuals that are on the stage. It's not about the musicians. It's not about the lights. It's not about anything else except how you come before the Lord. That's the heart of worship. You know, I want to I share something with you really quick about an experience I had uh, on a couple of occasions in 2017 and 2018, I was given the opportunity to go to Zambia, Africa. There's a ministry that uh, my family's involved with uh, that my wife and I absolutely adore. It's called Breath of Heaven. And Breath of Heaven was started by Ted and Judy Lawler and, and their heart for widows and orphans in, in Zambia. And they went and established a, a, an orphanage and, and a housing development for, for these, these kids and these, these widows. They've established a church and a, and a fully accredited Christian school, which is absolutely amazing. The ministry, God is just absolutely blessing there in just outside of the capital city of Lusaka, Zambia. And if you're unsure where Zambia is, if you go all the way down to the, the southernmost part of, of the continent of Africa as South Africa and just a couple countries north of South Africa is Zambia. And there was an opportunity two years ago, it was, uh, I believe it was September of 2018, when, when they were holding their church services for the, the orphanage and for Breath of Heaven inside of one of their classrooms for their school. Now they have a beautiful building that they get to have their church services in. But at that time, we were meeting in the classroom. So we had crammed probably about 50, 60 kids and adults and, and everybody into a normal-sized classroom. And, and we were having our church service. And and as they began, just like we do here, they opened their, their time of worship with 
worship with songs. And there was one set of worship, if we call it, where my brother, who hopefully he'll watch this, was leading us in worship. And, and their worship, they had a, a piano and, and they had somebody else on a, on a drum. And that was it. But as we were singing worship, there was one of the songs that they sang. And if it, it's up here, if you can put up that, that graphic, Cammy, it's called Abashila. And I, I don't know if I'm, hopefully I'm saying that right or, or, or well enough. Abashila means holy one or holy place. It's actually a, a, a Bembe term. Bembe is a, is a people group and a, and a language in northeastern Zambia. And in their dialect, Abashila means holy one or holy place. And, and that was kind of the, the content of the song that they sang. And they sang the entire song in, uh, I believe the majority of the song was in their language, uh, either it was in Bembe or in Nanja, uh, their Zambian language. But regardless, I couldn't sing along because I didn't understand. But here's the amazing thing that happened. And, and I fully believe this to this day. The Holy Spirit absolutely was present in that room that day in September of 2018, because as we were singing, it just so happened that the wind started to blow through. The windows were open and the wind came through as we were singing this song. And there was something about it where I just knew we were in the presence of God. And so I actually want to play for you that recording. I was able to take out my phone and, and, and record the worship session. And there's a, there's a two minute clip. I just I want to play for you so you can kind of hear the words. They're going to sing it in Zambian, so don't, I'm not going to put lyrics up here because I don't know what they are except the one term, Abashila, again, which means enter into the holy place where God himself sits. So there's something about that that still gets me because when you're listening to these, these kids, these orphans who have lost their parents, who've essentially lost everything. And, and, and by the grace of God through Ted and Judy, they were able to come into breath of heaven. And so having this room completely packed full of people 
and just, I couldn't, and I know you don't either because you don't, you can't understand the lyrics, but that didn't matter because I knew what they were singing. I knew who they were singing to, and I was able to worship along with them in just as much strength and, and passion and reverence as if that song was in English. And so that's the beauty of worship, that no matter the language, it's about the heart. That's the purpose and that's the point. And so the, here's what it comes down to, that if you can understand everything that we talked about regarding verse 16, who we're worshiping and, and how we come into that place of worship and why we worship, then as we get into verse 17, then it all should just make sense. Verse 17 should be a no-brainer. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So by our words and by our actions and whatever God has called us to do, we, we worship Him and we praise Him. That our life, not just three or four songs at the beginning of a church service, in name and action should be worshiped to the Lord. You know, Pastor David uh, Guzik of Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara said this. He said, a new man lives his life, all his life for Jesus. He will only seek to do the things that he may do in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he will persevere in the difficulty of doing such things, knowing that he is doing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, whether we're a pastor or educator, medical professional, first responder, salesman, technician, truck driver, tradesman, husband, wife, dad, mom, son, daughter, sibling, it doesn't matter. In everything that we do, in all that we do, we glorify, we worship, we praise, we honor, we bow down before our God because He's our King. So here's what I want to talk about. How do we apply this to what we're doing now? How do we apply this to our situation now when we, we're outside of the traditional church building? Does worship take on a different look in a field? Does, does worship change because we're, we don't go to a church building on Sunday? How about during a, a pandemic, during coronavirus, COVID-19, when we're all locked in our houses, how, does worship change for us? You know, when we first started this process of having to meet in the home and we had to kind of go into quarantine, I put together a quick message that I put out there about four weeks ago now called spiritual negligence based on Hebrews. And it was basically what it came down to was our responsibility when it comes to worship. And how we do church and how we do worship is obviously very, very different nowadays. You're watching church on TV, in your living room, maybe in your pajamas, with your slippers, with your coffee next to you. Well, I guess we would still have coffee next to us if we were meeting together. So the question is, how do we truly biblically worship during a pandemic? How do we truly worship from a place of joy and gladness with thanksgiving when we're locked down? But the Bible gives us quite a few examples of worship during difficult times. I want to point some of those out real quickly. Number one, during the Exodus. You know the story of the Exodus. God uh, released His people, the Israelites, from the hold of the Egyptians through Moses. And as they were exiting Egypt, they came to the Red Sea and they felt like they had their back up against the sea. And, and at that time, Pharaoh had just changed his mind about letting the people go. 
And he got his army together and all his chariots and men, hundreds of men, and started to go after the Israelites to bring them back into captivity. And so when they're back up against the sea, God made a way. And God parted that sea and the Israelites were able to walk across on dry ground. And as the Egyptians pursued them, you can imagine the people, that fear, that distress, that worry of being captured and, and being driven back into slavery. That as the, all the Israelites had gotten to the other side and the Egyptians were in the midst of the sea crossing over, the waves came down and destroyed the army. But in that, on that other side, in the midst of that moment, they found time to praise and worship God. In fact, in, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, it's, they said the song was, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. If we look at the, the book of Jonah, if you know the story of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, in the midst of his distress, in the midst of that fish, Jonah had a come-to-Jesus moment <laughs> where in, in the belly of that fish, he found salvation and praise for God because of who God was and what he was going through. We read in Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. If you jump to verse 9, Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So you see, understanding his mistake, understanding what he had done wrong, he comes before the Lord and prays and worship with thanksgiving, saying, I will now be obedient to you. Forgive me of my sin. And we, if you know the rest of the story, he goes and does what God calls him to and brings a whole town to salvation. If we look at the life of David, as we spoke about in the very beginning, David's many psalms and songs in, in the book that we attribute to him, or the majority of the book we attribute to him, was written during times of flight, of fear, when David was running for his life because Saul was attempting to remove him so that David wouldn't take over the throne. And so David was literally running for his life. And in a couple of occasions, in Psalm chapter 31, verses 1 and 2, David would sing, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So coming before the Lord in his fear and worry, saying, God, you're my salvation. Help me. We also see in, in Psalm 51, in a different circumstance, David found himself in, where he had committed adultery and he stole the wife of, of one of his men and had that man killed so he could take Bathsheba for his wife. In Psalm chapter 51 is David's song of recognizing that sin and asking the Lord for forgiveness. And in Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2, he writes and sings, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Again, a song, song of salvation, a song of needing God and His help and His forgiveness. We can come to God when we're afraid. We can come to God when we've messed up and understand how we've sinned and, and ask for His forgiveness. We can come to God and just 
Because of reflecting on what he had done and saved us from, we come to him with praise. And one more example really quick. We see Paul and Silas in prison in Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. And in, in Acts 16 verse 25, it says they were beaten with rods and they were imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus. And while in prison, they, in verse 25, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So even in the midst of their hardship, after being beaten and whipped and being in prison, they're still finding strength to come to God in prayer and worship and sing. And, and in that moment, they were a witness to other prisoners who heard them singing amidst their pain and amidst their imprisonment. What a testimony our praise can be for other people. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah gives us a very clear picture of worship. And it, what it says is, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. So Isaiah has a vision of God on his throne. He says, He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so what do we pick up about worship from Isaiah's vision is one, God is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is king. He is in control. And number two, his presence was all encompassing. The train of his robe filled the entire temple. God is everywhere. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, we're told, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And so what we, what we take from that is, from Isaiah's vision of God being all-encompassing, and if our body is a temple, if we've given our life to Christ, we are now gifted with the Holy Spirit who indwells us and fills us. Therefore, God is with us and fills us to the fullest extent wherever we are. doesn't have to be at a church service with three or four songs before you get into a message. Being in God's presence, our response, like those seraphim, should be constant worship. Holy, holy, holy. Even Jesus offers us a glimpse of worship again, really quick. In John 4, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So what does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Basically, we just take those words and we push them together. We're not talking about separate things, but we worship God from a truly spiritual place. That we are worshiping from a place where we're seeking to praise a God that is spirit, who envelops us with the spirit. Therefore, we worship from a place of spiritual awareness of who God is. We worship in truth because that is heartfelt and based on biblical truth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we worship God in spirit and truth, understanding who He is, that He's with us always, wherever we go, no matter what's going on around us, in the midst of distress, a pandemic, hopelessness, worry, fear, anxiety, whatever it might be, God is with you. 
if you could just tune in to Him in your heart and let Him minister to you where you're at, whether that's because of fear and anxiety or pain or distress or worry or needing forgiveness, needing help, needing salvation, or you just want to come to a place at any moment and just lift up His name in praise. So I want to remind us again of something that I had mentioned in that quick challenge when all this COVID-19 thing came down. And the challenge is, is still remains. Is your house a house of worship? Can you worship where you're at now? You don't need to go to a church building. You don't need to go to an elementary school multi-purpose room in Lake Elsinore in order to worship. You can worship exactly where you're at right now. This is what William Barclay said, and we'll close with this. He said, let us never forget the duty of worship. It is given to every man to live in two worlds, this world of space and time and the world of eternal things. Our danger is that to become so involved in this world that we forget the other. As the day begins, as the day ends, and ever and again in the midst of its activities, we should turn aside, if for a moment, and enter into God's presence. Every man carries with him his own secret shrine, but many so forget to enter it. So what's the whole point of all this? What is worship? Worship is praise and honor and glory to God the Father. And you can do that anywhere you're at. In any circumstance you might find yourself in, you can worship God. We don't stop worshiping because we're confined to our homes. We don't stop worshiping because we don't have a worship director or team in front of us leading us in a few songs in a church building. In fact, just the opposite. We worship God because of who He is. We worship because God is with us wherever we are. We worship because our life should be an indicator of the response we have towards Him who sacrificed His only Son so that we could live. A life of joy, praise, and thanksgiving to God in all things, in all circumstances. To that, I hope we can say amen. Let me pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and I just thank you for this morning again.